It's Matthew 19, verse 16. It says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus saith, said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus saith unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let me read a couple more verses here. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. When his disciples heard it, they were exceeding amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And we'll just pray before we continue. Lord, I just as we turn to your word this morning, we're grateful for it. We're grateful for these words from Christ. And Lord, we just ask that you would be a help to us, help us to understand this. Um, Lord, we, we see this, there's a gospel message in here. Um, Lord, help us to comprehend it and to be able to spread it abroad, Lord, um, to make it clear to others. So Lord, I just ask that you would help me to be clear this morning, help me to be, um, the words that I speak to be a, of help to others this morning as well. Lord. Just commit this to you in Christ's name. Amen. As we begin this passage, it says, One came and said unto him, Good master. And then, What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus' response to that is, Why do you call me good? There's none good but God. So instead of answering the question, he, he poses another question back to the man, which is a more important question. And he's preparing that man for the rest of what Jesus is about to say. He's trying to get his mind bent in a different direction. Because he's, he's looking for what good thing can I do that I may have eternal life? Well, we know the answer, right? There, there's no amount of good works that we can do to, to get eternal life. We, we know that. And so when he's asking for that specific answer, what, what thing can I do that will give me that? But he came to Jesus calling him 
good master. And Jesus says, there's none good but God. There is no good thing that you can do. Only God is good. But if you're calling me God, or sorry, if you're calling me good, you're also calling me God. And that's important for us to realize. Jesus didn't, he's not denying that he is good. He's just clarifying to the man that if you're calling me good, you're also acknowledging my deity, like, that he is God. And I think we need to grasp that in our heads very, very firmly that Christ is God. And so when men are talking to him, they're talking to God. But Jesus, in, in that even immediate response, he's just getting that guy to evaluate himself a little bit more on it. He, this man is already self-righteous. <laughs> he already thinks he's a good man. But there's something in him that makes him know that there's something missing. And he's, he's looking for what that thing is, because he doesn't know what it is at this point. Let's look at a, a passage in James chapter 1. James 1, verse 22. says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And this passage is just looking at the way that Jesus is pointing to that man and saying, it's just getting him to evaluate himself, right? And we need to evaluate ourselves. Verse 22 here says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. There's an awful lot of people sitting in church pews on any given Sunday morning who are just deceiving themselves. They're not honestly evaluating themselves and seeing, even like that man that came to Jesus, and, and looking for what is missing. <laughs> They're just self-righteous, thinking that they've, in their good works, are going to get to heaven, that God somehow is going to overlook their sin. But it's not the way it is. There is something very specific we need to do, and that's acknowledging our sin and trusting Christ alone for our salvation. And this passage reminds us, we need to look in the Word. And it it's describing our Bible as a mirror as I'm encouraging you to read through your Bible, 
we should see ourselves in all of these stories of people. We'll see our own character in the flaws of those people. We'll see our own flaws. In every instance where there's some instruction given as to what we ought to do or what we ought not to do, we should see whether we line up with those instructions. And at the end of it, we should come to the honest conclusion that I don't, I don't, <laughs> I can't fulfill what this book requires. I can't fulfill what God requires of me. And that's what Jesus is about to make really clear to this man who just came to him with this question. We're back in Matthew 19, verse 18. It says, He saith unto him, so I'll back up just a little bit to Jesus' answer. He said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. So theoretically, if we could keep the commandments perfectly, we could have eternal life. <laughs> theoretically. <laughs> we just know that we can't do it. So Jesus gives him this theoretical response, because that's what he's looking for. If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And this guy at least has enough wisdom to ask the next question. He says, which? Which commandments? And so Jesus starts to name off some of the Ten Commandments. He says, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as himself. And I'm just going to do a, a, a detour here just for a moment. Um, notice Jesus says, thou shalt, not, thou shalt do no murder. And I'm glad that this is there in that way, because back in the Ten Commandments, when we read it in Exodus, it says, thou shalt not kill. And so many people misconstrue that thou shalt not kill and just make it a universal thou shalt not kill. And they think all form of killing as to be to be wrong and yet in that same not in the same ten commandments but within the law and the description that follows that there are many instances where it's either permissible to kill another person or you're commanded to kill another person um, I didn't I found a couple of different articles both which claim that there are 36 different crimes in the Old Testament that the Bible prescribes capital punishment as a consequence. Um, I don't know if there's actually 36 or not. I didn't go looking to, to count all 36. But I'd find a handful here. And murder, obviously, should be the first on that list. And that's in Exodus 21, verse 12. But it, thou shalt not I'm not a direct quote here, but thou shalt not suffer a murderer to live, right? Like, I'm, I'm quoting that a different verse. But um, you're supposed to, if someone murders somebody else, you're supposed to take that person's life. 
You're not allowed, you're not supposed to let that person continue living. Same applies to someone that's guilty of kidnapping, somebody guilty of adultery, someone guilty of being a false prophet. And there's, Jen saw this on my note yesterday. It's like, why are you talking about that again? (laughs) That was last week. But homosexuality is actually in that list of things that capital punishment was the consequence. There is no way, as a Christian, I can say that it is okay for gay marriages to exist. That it's okay to live that lifestyle. When the Bible in the Old Testament says that if somebody does that, you're to take their life. I'm not saying we should go start doing that. <laughs> Most of us would already have to be on that list of people to be, to be killed based on these lists of sins, especially by the standards that Jesus set. Thankfully, God is merciful to us in, in many of it. And God was merciful throughout the Old Testament. Um, there's many, many instances. And just one example is David committed adultery. And when confronted by the prophet over this thing, he was caught. And God judged him for it. But God didn't even judge him to the standard that could have been that he could have been held to. He could have been killed for that. But God had mercy and allowed him to live. And so many, many times through scripture we see God being merciful. But there's a standard that is set forth in scripture. And Romans 3.23 says the wages of sin is death. That is the consequence for all sin. We're held to a a very high standard. We'll go back to where we are, just making the point that Jesus specifies that thou shalt not kill in the Ten Commandments is, is intended to mean murder. Thou shalt not kill someone who is not deserving of death. But there are times when people are deserving of death and it's actually our responsibility to fulfill that. And so there's, there's much in the Old Testament about that. You can keep reading. You'll, you'll read all about it. But we get through this and Jesus doesn't quote all ten commandments in this passage. He, uh, he just names a few. And... We see the response. Verse 20 says, The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. So in his mind, he hasn't broken any of these commandments that Jesus listed. He thinks he has kept 
the Ten Commandments. I just want to go to Romans chapter 2 for a moment and just look at this idea that we don't have to memorize all of Scripture and know all of what is written in the law to be held accountable to it. Romans chapter 2, verse 12 it says, for as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So this passage just points that we're born with a conscience and we're born with God's law imprinted on our hearts. And so even a person who hasn't been taught the Bible, hasn't read the scriptures, knows in their heart that they've broken God's law. (laughs) And they're going to be judged based on what they've done according to what they know they ought to do. This, that, that very thought, that very explanation, people ask the question, what about people who have never heard of the Bible, never heard of Jesus, never got taught anything about God? How can God... Send them to hell. Well, it's, they're still denying God. And they're still guilty. Because there is not a person alive, whether they know the scriptures or not, who haven't done something that goes against their own conscience. They've broken the, old, the law that they know in their hearts to be right. There's not a person, even with or without the scriptures, that hasn't done that. And so they're... They're condemning themselves. They're already guilty of breaking that law that they know is right. And so God isn't required to bring the gospel to every person, although he's commanded us to do that. And so it's really our failure, not God's, if those people die without knowing him. But God has written the law in our hearts. And this man, when we see him respond to Jesus after he lists some of these commandments, he says, I've all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I get? <laughs> I know I'm still not there. He knows, even though he, he can't point to a point in his life where he's broken one of those commandments, he knows there's still something missing and that he hasn't done enough. And so this is where Jesus has opportunity now. One more time, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 3. Just to, to see
Galatians chapter 3, just to see what the whole point of the law was. And I'm going to skip through here a little bit. Um, there's, there's almost two different topics being discussed through this passage, and I don't want to get too bogged down in it. But I want to look at the point of the law. So in Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 10, and I'm just going to work my way through the chapter here. Verse 10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And down in verse 19 says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. But here we see, well, the point of the law, it was, the law was written because people were doing these things against their consciences, and so God wrote down Yes, these are things that you ought not to do. It was because they were already doing these things that God wrote down the law. Verse 21 says, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. In other words, the law as given to Moses if there was ever a law written that could save you, that was it. If you could keep everything that was written there, you'd have salvation. But it's just obvious that we can't do it. There is no salvation by the law. And if, if there was such a thing, it was that. Verse 22 says, But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Verse 24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The whole point of the law was to prove to us what this young man is just starting to discover, that I can't do it. <laughs> I can't be good enough. It's just to bring me to the point where I can come to Christ hopeless with the conclusion that I'm, it's futile for me to try to accomplish this on my own power. My own goodness can't do it. And this guy is just starting to see it. Verse 20, I think it was, verse 20. Um, yeah, the, the young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? He's coming to that conclusion that he knows there's still something missing. That he still hasn't kept everything that he needs to do, but he doesn't quite yet understand what that is. And so Jesus helps him to understand what it is. 
Jesus saith unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. There's the real answer, is come and follow me. But he points this man to the part of his life where he hasn't kept the law. And he didn't include this part in his list of commandments. But I don't think this man saw himself as breaking these. I, I, I see two commandments that he's breaking and what Jesus makes evident here. So Jesus says, Go and sell what thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now we've revealed the problem, haven't we? This man is guilty of two things. One is coveting, and the other is idolatry. And he probably has never thought of himself as coveting. Because anything he wanted, he had. <laughs> he had the wealth to acquire whatever things he wanted. He had great possessions. So he's never coveted. He's never wished he had something somebody else had because he just went out and got whatever it was that he wanted. But that's still coveting, right? Having that lust for things is a form of coveting. And so he's guilty of breaking that law. But more importantly, he's guilty of idolatry. Now this guy doesn't have any statues in his house. He doesn't have any little idols that he bows down before. He doesn't offer sacrifices to any object. He doesn't pray to some figure. He doesn't do any of those outward idolatry looking things. He doesn't name these other gods that he serves. And yet he's still guilty of idolatry because he's put something before God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. It's, it's supposed to be God first and then the other things come after that. And yet when this man is asked to give up his worldly possessions for God, it reveals his heart is that he loved those things more than he loves God. What about us? Do we love our stuff more than God? If we were asked to do what this man is asked to do, could we do it? And there are certainly people that we see in our world that do these things. We, we see missionaries who give up everything to go and serve in faraway places and have nothing. And yet, in our culture, in our society, we don't, they don't even, for the most part, don't do that. <laughs> because we have, as small of a church as we are, we have three or four different missionary families that we give financial support to. <laughs> We don't even require our missionaries to actually give up their riches. We make sure that they have as much riches now when they're out on the mission field as they would have had they stayed at their, their full-time job and stayed here. Isn't that crazy? We're almost stealing 
And I'm not saying it's not wrong to, to support missionaries. It's important. But I think we're almost stealing a part of that blessing of their willingness to give these things up. But we support them and give them finances to do that so that they don't have to sacrifice for the sake of serving God. It's a hard thing what Jesus is asking this man to do. He says, sell it all. <laughs> all of it. Give it all away. And then come and follow me. Jesus is asking him to give it up, to give up everything, to, to follow Jesus. Are we willing to do that? Now, Jesus afterwards adds, adds a little story here. It says, Then said Jesus to his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Then his, when his disciples heard it, they were exceeding amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So many theologians, scholars, have made the error of trying to give explanation to things like this that are tangible. <laughs> um, and I, if any, anybody, lots of us have heard where this eye of the camel going through the eye of a needle is talking about some small, low gate in the wall of the city of Jerusalem, that the camel had to get down on its knees and crawl through this very difficult passageway. And so here's what Jesus is describing. That is so far from what Jesus is saying, because what we're saying is that it's possible. <laughs> but Jesus, the, the disciples see this as it's impossible. With man, it's impossible. That's true. But with God, it's possible. It's impossible for us to love God more than everything in our life. For, for us to do enough good, this man has discovered that. When, when Jesus gives him this as your answer, is Here's, here's where your sin lies, is in your love for your stuff. Give it all up, and you'll be okay. And he couldn't do it. We all have some area of sin in our life where it's not enough, and there is nothing I can do. It's impossible for me to work my way to heaven with good works. It's impossible. It is only through that last step of following Christ. Coming to the conclusion that it's impossible and then putting my full trust in his sacrifice, in what he has done, who he is, that is the only answer. 
And it's only through God's power that we can accomplish that. It's impossible. And so this idea of a, a gate that the camel could possibly crawl through, you know, we can't possibly crawl <laughs> through to Christ, to, to heaven. We need Christ. I just want to point out to you, you are, I am, that rich man. I, I, I managed to, I was searching for information, and I managed to find a website that had a calculator on it where you could put in the size of your family and your income, and it would rank you based on the world averages. So for a family of my size, two adults and two children, if you were to have an income of what Canada considers the poverty line, around $40,000 for that family, Canada considers that poverty. Do you know where you rank in the world? You'd be in the 82% highest incomes in the world by living at the poverty line in Canada. There is only 17.7% of the world that makes less money than you. Or more money than you, sorry. If you earn a more average income, I don't know what the actual average is, but I went with $80,000. It's not uncommon for someone in Canada or U.S. to, to earn $80,000 a year. You'd be in the top 7% of the world as far as income goes. Can you, can, you, can you grasp that? All the complaining and whining we do about our lack of money and that I can't afford this, I can't afford that. You're in the top 10 to 15% of the whole planet as far as income and riches. You are that rich man. It makes me wonder when Jesus, verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. North America is full of churches that are full of people who are so filthy rich and they haven't got a clue how rich they are and how poor most of the world's population is. And we're so complacent about everything, about Scripture, about who Christ is, and about our sin. We're not, no care in the world about the depth of my sin in relation to what this book says I ought to be doing. We don't come even close to what this book says we should be. I wonder how many of us will be part of that impossible few. How many of us are willing to give everything up if that's what it takes to, to reach God? To, would, we, would we give up our riches? 
Stephen's asking a lot there, isn't he? We don't we don't comprehend what Jesus is saying here. How impossible it is and how foul we really are. How far short we fall of God's standards. And we just take it so lightly. And we just live day to day doing the same things over and over again that just that God just abhors. <laughs> the thoughts of our, our minds are wicked. The, our world around us is wicked. It, when God points to these, whether it's 36 things, that he, his requirement was for Israel to, to end the life of those people that did those things. 36 different things, and we accept those things as normal behaviors now. Our standards are so low compared to God's. We don't understand just how serious God takes us breaking his law. We need to understand that. That we need to not take these things lightly and to, to just carry on living the way that we've always lived. Jesus said we must be born again. Like We need to start over. <laughs> there needs to be a new life in us. There needs to be a change. If there's no change in us, we clearly don't understand what Jesus is saying here. We clearly don't understand how far short of God's standards that we fall and what God really requires. The wages of sin is death. <laughs> That's a permanent kind of death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? It's, it's only through faith in his sacrifice. That's the only answer to any of this is faith in the sacrifice of Jesus' perfect life. Let's pray. Lord, I just wish I could say it more clear to make it more obvious that there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation, that we need to be willing to give up everything if that's what it takes. And yet we realize that there is nothing that I can do to earn my salvation. I can't give up enough things. I can't change enough in my life the only thing I can do is to come to that conclusion that it's, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, aside from the sacrifice that Christ made for me. Lord, help us to understand that so that we can move forward in spreading that message to a lost and dying world. Lord, as we look forward to your second coming, to your return to uh, that blessed hope. Lord, we need to understand this so that we can have a passion for spreading that message to others. Lord, help us to, to have that passion. Help us to have that desire to see others 
understand that message. Let's ask this in Jesus' name.